Grace and peace to you this Lord's Day from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Baron Mullis, and I'm the pastor of this congregation, and along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan LeCluse, and our director of music, Andrew Sin, and all of our musicians, I am delighted to welcome you to our service of worship. Before we move into the body of the service, I would just remind you regularly to check our website. If you haven't yet read the letter from the clerk of session and me regarding our return to in-person in worshiping, I hope you will. It's on our website, and you'll also find updates on any expected protocols, which we will discern as we get closer to that opening. Uh, aside from that, look around on the website and see what you find. Let us join together now in our responsive call to worship. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. God kept track of sins, who would stand a chance? But with God, there is forgiveness. May God hear our request for mercy as we together pray our prayer of confession. Eternal God, creator of heaven and earth, you extend from the furthest reaches of the universe to the depths of Sheol. Yet in our limited knowledge, we forget from whom our blessings flow. We blur the lines between creator and creation and think that we have earned our own blessings. But you alone are the source of all life and all good. We are chastened and we ask forgiveness. 
Return us to your marvelous image. Remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and call forth from us the commitment you would have us bring. Through Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. Friends, do not lose heart. We are renewed day by day through the grace of Christ extended to us. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading today comes from the second letter to the Corinthians, starting in the fourth chapter at the 13th verse. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here ends our first reading. Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Genesis. We read there in the third chapter, beginning at the 8th verse and continuing through the 15th. Continue to listen for the word of God as it comes to us today. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The story goes that the preacher was invited one night for dinner and she arrived a little early at her congregant's front porch and heard the television set running and knocked on the door. No answer. Worried that something might be askant, she tooled around to the back door of the house, past the family's garden, and knocked again. Still no answer. Becoming irritated that no one was there to greet her, she took out her calling card and left it by the door with the note, Revelation 3 a few minutes later, the congregation member answered the door, found the note, and looked up the verse to find, Behold, I stand at your door and knock. Embarrassed at having missed her, he quickly jotted off a note and slipped it in the mail to the church the next day. It read simply, Genesis 3.10. When the preacher received the note, she quickly opened her Bible to read, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This little joke harkens back to a time when public nudity was uh, more frowned upon, shall we say, than today. Now, of course, there's naked gardening day, naked bike ride day. One wonders if anyone even cares about such things anymore, except there is that common nightmare. You know the one I'm talking about. I ran a quick search this last week to find out what exactly the nightmare about being naked in public is actually about. Now, mind you, this is unscientific, but I read that four out of five people have the nightmare of being naked in public at some point in their lives. I looked at several websites about dreams, and they offered such explanations as poor body image, fear of being judged, fear of, ironically, being exposed, the possibilities of what causes us to have such nightmares seems to be a rather long list. But apparently a lot of people have that dream. Or maybe you also have this one. I, I still have a recurring dream that the opening hymn is almost over and I can't quite get the microphone wires through my robe. Well, no, I guess most of you don't have that dream. I am sure it just points to some insecurity of my own, which, of course, most dreams do. Which, of course, our Genesis passage today does as well. To the easy glance, it looks like the cataclysm of the Bible. All that is perfect is shattered and God in a rage banishes the man and the woman from the garden forever. Certainly the narrative progression of the Bible suggests that this is the case. We start with a perfect creation. There is this spectacular fall following which we find stories of evil and torment. We get a, a brief lift from the, the prophets and then, of course, certainly a sustained hope in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of it all, Revelation sweeps onto the stage with its bloody moons and multi-headed dragons, beasts, virgins, and infants, and the whole mess is 
swept off into a new heaven and a new earth. It certainly suggests that there is a progression of faith that mirrors the progression of the Bible. But that isn't necessarily so. Walter Brueggemann writes, The text is commonly treated as the account of the fall. Nothing could be more remote from the narrative itself. This is one story that needs to be set along many others in the Old Testament. The Genesis text makes no general claim about the human prospect. If one were to locate such a pessimistic view of human nature in the Old Testament, one might better look to the tradition of Hosea, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel than here. In other words, we might call it the fall, but the Bible does not. Frederick Buechner puts it even more succinctly where he writes, The biblical view of the history of humankind and of each individual man or woman is contained in the first three chapters of Genesis. We are created to serve God by loving him and each other in freedom and joy but invariably choose bondage and woes as prices not too high to pay for independence. To say that God drove Adam and Eve out of Eden is apparently a euphemism for saying that Adam and Eve, like the rest of us, made a break for it as soon as God happened to look the other way. If God really wanted to get rid of us, then chances are he wouldn't have kept hounding us every step of the way ever since. The Bible is not trying to tell us what bad people we are and how we got so bad. It is trying to tell us a story, a love story. Indeed, one of my colleagues likes to call the, the whole of the Bible a love letter, uh, God's mechanism of sharing the story of making a creation and falling so in love with it that God remains transfixed by creation itself, almost fascinated with it and unwilling to let it be spoiled. If there is a deeper story of what we're getting wrong here, it's not that we're getting the rules wrong that God gave us, but more likely that we are getting God wrong. Because here's a fundamental truth. If we get God wrong, it's almost impossible to get ourselves right. Because it is God who has made us and made us to be who we are. That's why the text from Paul this morning, from his letter to the Corinthian church, has such a profound truth for us when he tells us that this flesh, really, uh, this whole material world, it's not illusory, it's not inferior, it's not bad, it's just temporary. Think for a moment about where we get the word temporary. It has to do with the temporal realm, wherein we live in time. But if the eternal, which is not temporary, which is not bound by the particularities of fate and flesh and tense, exists in God, then nothing can ever destroy it. It appears at times that there are really two main ways that folks in the world think about God and, frankly, the whole world. One is where God resides in things, the stuff of creation. 
You've probably heard this one. It's, it's where God resides in the rocks and the trees or, or the streams even. And there are a lot of people that believe that. But Christian faith would call that idolatry. Because if God is in the rock, then make the rock look nice. And then you can attempt to derive some meaning from the rock. But the other way of thinking about of how God relates to the world, and, and this is the teaching of Christian faith, is not that God is in creation, but rather that creation exists within the eternity of God. See the difference? The first way, God is sitting, sitting back, watching the narrative. Second way, though, the narrative is taking place in the very heart of God, within the eternal care of God. Paul is telling us that if we know our lives are taking place within the very being and heart of God, then things look different. The problem with overemphasizing the fall, and many Christians do, with getting hung up on the sin that destroys shalom is that we have this nasty tendency to assume that temporal mistakes uh, yield eternal consequences. Uh, get it right in this life, undo Adam and Eve for yourself, or else you have revelation to look forward to. Who wouldn't be absolutely anxiety-ridden at such a prospect? Brueggemann is even more pointed when he puts it this way. Perfect love casts out fear. But the man and the woman in our narrative learned another thing. Perfect fear casts out love and leaves only desire. The story is a theological critique of anxiety. It presents a prism through which the root cause of anxiety can be understood. The man and the woman are controlled by their anxiety. They seek to escape anxiety by attempting to circumvent the reality of God, for the reality of God and the reality of anxiety are related to one another. Overcoming of God is thought to lead to the nullification of anxiety about self. But the story teaches otherwise. It is only God, the one who calls and permits and prohibits, who can deal with the anxiety among us. If this whole narrative is taking place within the eternity of God, then the Genesis story doesn't carry any more weight in the Bible than, say, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or Isaiah 40. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, because it's all taking place within the eternal redemption story of God. And if it's an eternal redemption story, it's not about getting the rules right. It's about getting God right. And when we get God right, when we understand that God isn't just waiting to play whack-a-mole with us for our sins, then we are able to begin to get ourselves right and each other right. The point of Genesis 3 isn't that Adam and Eve got it so wrong so long ago and we must now pay, but rather that Adam and Eve are getting it wrong right now. 
or, or Stanley and Dorothy, or Homer and Marge, or Fred and Ethel are all getting it wrong right now. The point isn't that Adam and Eve got it wrong and now we have to pay. The point is that each of us gets it wrong a great deal of the time and God doesn't give up on us. In other words, we don't have to sit around naked and afraid of God. Instead, we can get up, get on with it, and realize that the lives we leave, our anxieties and joys are all taking place within the eternity of God. The God whose eye is on the sparrow eternally watches over us. Did you know that theologians have two ways of talking about time also? One is chronos. It's, you all know chronos. It's the one where the clock ticks. The chronometer marks its progression. We live in chronos. We, we mark the seasons of our lives in chronos. But God's time is different. It's Kairos. It's eternal time. It's not marked by the passing of minutes, days, hours, and lives. It's different. It's God's time. And all of the chronos, the, the good and the anxious, the joyful and the sad, the stupid and the wise things we do are all resting within the kairos of God. The worst thing you've ever done doesn't exist outside the redemption of God because everything exists within the eternity of God. Now, why am I rambling on about time and space? Because occasionally, perhaps when we've blundered and had our worst falls, the veil between Kronos and Kairos slips, and we see past the Kronos into the Kairos, and we catch a glimpse of God's eternity. And one of the places where we can best hope to find a pocket of Kairos to carry into the rest of it all is at the font of baptism, the cradle of Christian community, right here, where Jesus even still calls us. Or perhaps more accurately, where Jesus eternally calls us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hear these words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey all, everything I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here are also these words of Holy Scripture. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. Therefore, let us remember with joy our own baptism, even as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Everett May Leader, daughter of George and Darian Leader, to receive the sacrament of baptism. 
in presenting your daughter for baptism, it is right that you should make public answer to these questions. First, do you desire that Everett be baptized? We do. Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your daughter? Yes. We do. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Everett by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of his church? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Through baptism, we enter into the covenant that God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve. As God embraces your child within the covenant, I ask you for her sake to reject sin, to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. And we are all invited to confess our faith using the words of the ancient baptismal creed. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray together. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised land. In the waters of Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your spirit to move over this water that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Everett to new life and graft her into the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon her that she may have power to do your will and to continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forevermore. Amen. What is the Christian name of your daughter? Everett May, daughter of the covenant. Everett May, daughter of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Everett May. She is the newest baptized member of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And today we have made her an extraordinary promise. We have said in an era that often lacks commitment that we will commit to her, that we will show her by the manner of our lives what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
as always, I admonish you to take this with the utmost of seriousness, and I invite you to affirm your commitment once more by singing together the ironic benediction. Loving God and loving our neighbors, let us share what we have as members of the household of Christ. Over me. 
creation. You set us in a verdant place and gave us everything needful for an abundant life. Yet we have marred your good creation. We pray for the renewal of creation as we seek to live more responsibly within it. Make us better stewards than we have yet been of water, soil, and air. Teach us how to live in ways that honor the habitats of every living thing. Loving God, we have also marred human relationships by emphasizing our differences and disagreements at the expense of our commonalities and connections. We pray that you will give us new understandings and ways of living with one another, doing the slow work of peace and justice, rather than turning to the quick response of war, receiving our various languages and colors as enrichments rather than deficits, caring for the least and the lost, not as unwanted burdens, but as welcome companions in your great household. Renewing God, we know so well that human life is fragile. We see in our own bodies how illness and infirmities afflict us. Because you shared our human life, we come before you to ask for healing, recovery, and an end to pain and suffering. Within our community, we remember before you those in need of your care and ours, and name them before you now. Within our own families and circles of friends, we lift up the names of people in pain. We give thanks for the skills of doctors and nurses and healthcare attendants. We pray for researchers who dedicate themselves to seeking new treatments and cures and procedures that enhance our health. Strengthen all caregivers with the gifts of kindness and patience and endurance. We are grateful, O oh God, that though our bodies fail us, you renew us spiritually day by day so that we never outlive our usefulness to you. No need, no person is ever hidden from you or beyond your reach to save. Remember those who have overlooked, those whom we have forgotten or forsaken, and those who have wandered away from you. Restore them, we pray, and restore us too, until we are all your family again. In the name of Christ, we pray this and the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
get God wrong, it's hard to get much of anything else right. But when we begin to get God right, we begin to live in the eternal kairos of God, and everything changes. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.